Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning. All right, because when I was in school, I think I would have liked to have like known in advance, um, not necessarily what was going to be on the test, but like what what's the stuff that you really need to know uh, going into the day? So <clears throat> I have a little preview for you. I have the opening statement uh, that Amy Coney Barrett intends to deliver at the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing uh, this morning. And I thought I'd brief you in, and that way... You will be prepared to talk about it in your conversations today. And you say, well, I thought this was about bringing the headline, bringing the mind of Christ to bear on the headline news of the day. Yes, it is, my friends. So here is what you would hear her say, not only about herself and her family and those who have taught her the law, but what you are going to hear her say about how she writes opinions resolving cases before her uh, and her commitment to this is the standard I will follow as long I, as I am a judge in any court. That's going to be the most important paragraph um, in terms of uh, her approach to the law, and I want you to hear it. But I want you to start, I want to start off where she starts because she starts off with a little quip about um, being, used to be in a gr- being used to being in a group of nine, and that's what gives her the opportunity to talk about her own family. She spends almost half of her statement her opening statement, talking about her family. That tells you what matters to her. She spends uh, the next portion of time talking about working with, uh, uh, clerking for Antonin Scalia. But let me lead off with what she says about her husband and her kids. My husband, Jesse, and I have been married for 21 years. He has been a selfless and wonderful partner at every step along the way. Uh, She then goes on in the next paragraph to talk about Jesse uh, and she being the parents to seven wonderful children. She walks through each and every one of them by name, celebrating them and talking about them. Um, And arriving finally at the youngest, Benjamin, who has Down syndrome, she says, he is the unanimous favorite of the family. Uh, If you want to know whether or not she's pro-life, pretty much all you need to know uh, is the story of her seven kids, including her youngest, Benjamin. She then talks about her siblings and her parents. Uh, recognizing that she has not only a godly heritage, but she has a support system that includes her own family. She then talks about devoted teachers along the way. She talks about uh, having considered uh, graduate studies in English, but deciding deciding instead to apply her, quote, passion for words uh, in the area of law. She talks about clerking for Judge Antonin Scalia, and she says this, Justice Scalia taught me more than just law. He was devoted to his family resolute in his beliefs, and fearless of criticism. She goes on to say, uh, I resolve to maintain that perspective. Quote, there is a tendency in our profession to treat the practice of law as all-consuming while losing sight of everything else. But that makes for a shallow and unfulfilling life. I worked hard as lawyer and as a professor. I owed that to my clients, my students, and myself. But I never let the law define my identity or crowd out the rest of my life. And then there's this paragraph, and this is the one that I think as Christians, 
uh, we need to recognize this is this reveals her cosmology. This reveals the way she views the world and everything in it. Here's the paragraph. When I write an opinion resolving a case, I read every word from the perspective of the losing party. I ask myself, how would I view the decision if one of my children was the party I was ruling against? Even though I would not like the result, would I understand that the decision was fairly reasoned and grounded in the law? That is the standard I set for myself in every case, and it is the standard I will follow as long as I am a judge in any court. The reason I highlight this paragraph, my friends, is because Judge Amy Coney Barrett is telling you right there that the universe is personal, that it's all personal, and that she takes it personally. If you do not understand that there is a God in heaven who is the creator of all things and sovereign over it all, the one from whom justice flows, then you have no understanding that the decisions that you make in a court of law are also deeply personal. She understands that. Um, she says in, uh, in her walk-off, I believe in the power of prayer. It's been uplifting to hear that so many people are praying for me. And so we're going to pause as she uh, sits down in the hot seat today. We're going to pause and pray for um, our sister in Christ, Amy Coney Barrett. Father, we just ask that you would build her up, that you would pour forth your spirit in ways that would give her the right words in the right moment, give her not only the words, but the, uh, the right spirit in delivering them. Allow her to be heard and give those who hear ears to hear. In Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, we'll be right back. Dr. Linda Mental is here. We're going to talk about stress. We're going to talk about anger and its dark side. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me again today, Dr. Linda Mental. You can catch her at the Dr. Linda Mental Show. You can also find her at drlindamental.com. Um, Linda, welcome back. Good morning. Uh, sitting here in the bands of the hurricane. I'm not in Minneapolis or Minnesota, so it's been kind of a dark and dreary day. So that intro, Carmen, the dark side was very Star Wars-like. <laughs> <laughs> well, so somebody was telling me yesterday that stress is contagious and... And I'm talking with you about, you know, anger leading to the dark side. You and I have read this, uh, that anger makes us more susceptible to false information. Um, let's let's just dive right in. People are, we've sort of passed the point of politeness in terms of our ability to gin up patience with one another in the midst of the pandemic. And people are beginning to crack. And some of that means the stuff that's in them, particularly the anger, is seeping and seething out. Talk talk with us about dealing, recognizing, and then dealing with the anger in us. Well, it's very concerning. I mean, any of us that are, you know, involved in the culture and everyday life see the anger all around us. You turn on the television. I guess that's the part that really has upset me. I'm married to a, a media person, an executive that's been involved in journalism and media for 30 plus years. 
And I've never seen what we are seeing today in our culture with the media just ramping up the emotions and the anger. Now, we do know that anger, um, emotional arousal does cause people to listen to a network. It's one of the ways that you can get viewers or listeners. So there is some thought to that in terms of when you're trying to get a market share. But the damage that this is doing uh, in our culture to, to so many things. Number one, I, I just I just did a lecture on heart disease and stress. The number one predictor for males in terms of heart disease is hostility. So you think about the number of people that are feeling hostile. I mean, we just had a a group that was trying to, you know, kidnap a governor and the hostility that we have going on in the election, in the racial problems, uh, you know, in the COVID being contained and trying to, you know, stay at home and do the right things. All of this is just building and building and building. And what this article that you and I read uh, was talking about, and there's a lot more research on this, is that the more angry you are, the more you are susceptible to misinformation. So if we think about that in the time of just an election, the more angry people are one side or the other, doesn't matter which side you're on, then what happens is when things are reported, there's a lot of misinformation that's reported, certainly on social media, a lot of misinformation. Well, what that, that research says is that that will make us a little more susceptible to accepting false information. We'll feel like even though the information is false, we might think, oh, we're confident that that was actually right or okay or maybe even true. And then uh, what happens is we decide more quickly on stuff. We take action more uh, when we're angry because we, fear is the kind of emotion that stops you and, and kind of paralyzes you and makes you stop maybe rethink what you're going to do. But anger really pushes you forward. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Bible is so specific about anger in that we are to be slow to anger and that we are not to just react to things that we're supposed to be, you know, quick to listen to other people. So this whole idea that anger really clouds your judgment, there's a lot to that. When you're angry, you literally don't think well because the feeling part of your brain is basically hijacking the thinking part of your brain. So that's a real concern uh, when, we're, when we're in the middle of an angry episode or when we're just chronically angry, then we're always also looking for information that's gonna fit our perspective and just reinforce our view. So think about that with the election. Are we actually gonna change uh, people's minds based on policy? Probably not. It's probably based on the anger that people feel and then them looking for information that fits their their bias. All right, Linda, we have to take a very brief break. When we come back, can we um, just, you know, talk about the habits of angry people and then ways that we can loose ourselves from these habits? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. That's up next with Dr. Linda Mental. We'll be right back. Continue my conversation with Dr. Linda Mental from the Dr. Linda Mental Show and online at drlindamental.com. Linda, um, there are some identifiable habits of angry people, and you talk with us um, in a in a column you've got posted right now. Five ways to loose, lose. I guess we're losing, losing, <laughs> losing. <laughs> angry habits. Five ways to lose angry habits. I was trying to loose them, but there you yeah. go. 
that's not what we want to do. <laughs> that's the opposite. Yeah. I got it now. Yeah. So listen, um, I think also I'm, I don't usually plug my stuff, but I do have this little book. It's a little pocket sized book called Breaking Free from Anger and Unforgiveness. And it has sold in the six figures uh, kind of uh, numbers of, of help to people. It, mm. You can buy it less than a cup of coffee on Amazon. And the reason that book is so popular is because I go through the biblical views on anger. So, you know, all the things that we know where the Bible says, don't give vent to your anger. Well, why is that? Because we know from all the studies that the more you give vent to your anger, the more angry you actually become. So number one is don't give vent to it. When, you, when you're angry, what you need to do, the very first thing you need to do is calm down your body. So you have to take a deep breath. Sometimes we have to take an adult time out. Again, what's happening in the brain when you're very, very angry is that that part of your brain, it's called the amygdala, it gets really ramped up and fired up. It's an emotional processing part of the brain, and it quickly hijacks the thinking part of your brain so that you can't think. And actually, it affects your memory as well. So your memory isn't always as accurate. So one of the ways you have six seconds when you start to feel angry to calm down the body. So the one thing I teach people is take a deep breath because that is a relaxation technique that will stop that angry um, six-second hijack from happening. And then really the easiest thing you can do when you're feeling so angry, and I've, I've taught couples how to do this in marital work, is immediately distract yourself with a thought. So you can look at something in the room, you can count backwards from 10, you can think of three cities that begin with A. Is The minute you do that, you are re-engaging the thinking part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex. You're getting it back online so that you can think and not react. So that is a very good strategy. I teach this to, to med students, to couples, anybody who's really struggling with anger when you feel it, you know it's coming on, you can feel it revving up in your body, take a deep breath, and then do a brief distraction technique. And that will get you back online and get you back into thinking. But the Bible has so many specifics about anger. So one of the things that doesn't help is to continuously think of angry thoughts. So one thing we have to do is when we have anger, we have to deal with those thoughts, recognize our self-talk, and start to calm that down and say, okay, what could be happening here? Why am I so angry? What am I upset about? Is this something I have control over? Is it not? Was I treated unfairly? If you're treated unfairly, we know that scripture tells us we have to forgive the person and we're supposed to let go of that offense. And again, all kinds of research in the in the health field about if you hold on to offense, you hold on to anger, you're going to do physical damage to your body. So it also leads to resentment and it also leads to a root of bitterness. So those are just some quick tips that people can do. You don't want to engage in anger and keep it going. You don't want to you don't want to continue to think about it and you don't want to think of ways and you don't want to allow yourself to escalate with raising your voice, screaming, name calling, all the things that we're seeing in the culture. Because again, the more we do that, the more anger gets vented, it gets more problematic and it actually increases instead of decreases. So all those past thoughts we had about just release your anger and you're going to feel better, that actually doesn't work. And it's actually biblical that it doesn't work. All right. Um, Linda, I'm taking notes. Um, anger, when I feel it, because I certainly can recognize that, then I need to breathe. 
Right. And then I need to do a quick distract or distraction technique. The goal here is that I would think and respond, not react. Um, right. And it's because it's those angry reactions that are actually destructive, not only to me, but to the relationship that I'm engaged in at the time. So talk a little bit about, um, I love that you run through these five habits, five habits of angry people, the habit of angry self-talk, angry people see problems, not beauty, angry people make lots of threats, angry people blame us for their own behavior, and angry people hang on grudges and become judges. Um, you you walk through those, but you also uh, give us ways to lose the anger, um, and I think that's really what you're what you're highlighting there. Um, well, I think it's, it's important. Normal. Go ahead. It's to say this: it's normal to feel the emotion of angry uh, anger. So I don't want to think that you should never feel yeah. anger because right. the Bible is really clear about it: be angry, but don't sin in that anger. So you can feel it, but what you do with that emotion is what's so important. That's the issue here. And you don't you want to be able to quickly get in an angry thought and be able to calm it down. And the way you do that is through that distraction, physically just calming your body down and then really replacing that angry thought with something that is more rational, maybe something that's more true and maybe something that's biblical in terms of thinking on something a little bit more positive. Can we spend this is related, I hope. Um, so I, I let's say I encounter an angry person. Their anger is irrational. It's being directed at me. Uh, what do I do as the person who suddenly finds themselves with an angry person? Yeah, you have to you have to stay calm. And that's the, the trick, because when you're with somebody who's angry, your first reaction, let's just look at the debate. I mean, you just want to mm, lash back. Ratchet right? up, right? They just like ratchet, ratchet it, up. it up. And defend mm. yourself, right? You want to defend yourself. Probably the worst thing you can do, because if somebody's really angry, you're not going to talk them out of their anger. You're going to you need to stay really calm. And when you when that happens, you can say to the person, look, I'd love to have a conversation with you, but not until you can calm down a bit. And people don't like that. Sometimes they get even angrier. But this is what we teach in couples work. You're too angry right now to have this conversation. Take a brief time out. Go get your, you know, maybe go take a walk, take a brief moment of whatever you have to do to calm yourself down, and then we can re-engage. Because again, I want people to understand the brain is not working in the thinking part. It's only working in the emotional arousal part, and nothing productive is going to come from that. So it's really pointless to try to work with somebody or have a conversation or talk to somebody. Sometimes the best thing is to say, Right now, you're really angry. I'm going to walk away. And then we can revisit this when you've calmed down a bit. Um, that is a good strategy. Just get yourself calm. And again, physically breathing, thinking on something that would calm you down, maybe refocusing your mind to an object in the room rather than the emotional. Because what happens when you're in the middle of anger? You're just thinking about what that person did or what you think they did that's making you so upset. And when you do that, you're just going to continue to rev that up. So I would walk away if it was really bad, or I would just say to a person, I want to have this conversation. I really do. But right now, just, you know, it's just too volatile. We need to, we need to take a break. And I would include myself in that rather than putting it on them as well. Yeah. Figuring out how to bring the encounter to some kind of pause and and because you can't just walk away. Angry people oftentimes don't just let us walk away. Like that's been like... Like, right? I don't, don't you walk away from like, okay, I'm trying, it's like self-preservation here. I, I feel like I have to walk away. So so we have to figure out how to like push a pause button um, in ourselves and in the situation 
um, so that we can come back to a conversation with that individual when when tempers are not when when anger's not just the eruptive environment. I just yeah, if, it's if it's a pattern in your in your in your relationship, then I would acknowledge that in a calm time, and I would say because this is the classic pursuer distancer uh, thing that a pattern that we see with couples. One pursues very angrily, and then the other one moves away and is very upset, and that pattern stays. So when you're not angry, talk to each other and say we have this pattern. We want to break it. We're going to only break it if you calm down, and then I stay in the interaction. So what can we do to both get calm? How can we soothe each other in the middle of an angry interaction? And then we decide we're going to talk about it once we can soothe each other and calm each other down. And for couples, that's really important. Now, if you're you know boss and an employee, you're not going to work on soothing each other. But in a couple's relationship, both of you agree. Let's find ways to soothe each other when we're really angry and upset. And then we'll attack whatever the issue is. we got to break that pattern of pursuer and distancer. So helpful, as always, Linda. So, so helpful. So timely. Something that we definitely need. That's Dr. Linda Mental. Listen to the Dr. Linda Mental show right here on the Faith Radio Network. You can grab it um, also on the Faith Radio app. Um, and you can find her at drlindamental.com. Hey, check out the book that we were just um, we were just talking about, Breaking Free from Anger and Unforgiveness, a biblical strategy to conquer destructive reactions. Linda, as always, thank you so much. Great to talk with you. Have a great week. Thanks you too. We've got to take a break for Breakpoint. All right, there are things going on around the world that we uh, need to highlight and be prepared not only to talk about but pray through. David Aikman will be back to discuss headlines from, oh, geez, Europe, China, Armenia, everything going on in Azerbaijan, and maybe the Abraham Accords. Yep, that's up next. This is Max Licato. Believe in the Jesus who believes in you. He believes that you can rise up, take up, and move on. You're stronger than you think. I know the plans for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. He certainly gave a bright future to the Bethesda beggar, and immediately the man was made well. John 5 and verse 9. Jesus did nothing but speak, and the miracle was accomplished. What will God do for you? I cannot say. God's help, while ever-present, is ever-specific. It is not ours to say what God will do. Our job is to believe He will do something. It simply falls to us to stand up, to take up, and walk. Remember, friends, you are never alone. This is Max Lucado. My name is Bond, James Bond. Joining me again today, David Aikman from Godspeed Magazine. David, let's uh, let's jump right in. Um, there had been some hope of a ceasefire in the shellings of cities um, in Azerbaijan, the uh, the Armenian districts there, uh, but apparently the shelling continues, and there may be some breaking news. Bring us up to date. Well, the, the trouble is that there seems to have been systematic shelling from Armenia of Azeri inhabited areas of Nagorno-Karabakh, which
which is a um, an Armenian enclave in Azerbaijan, and the ceasefire that was supposed to go into effect last night has been disrupted by firing from both sides this morning. We're not clear who started this particular uh, hostilities, but it's pretty serious. And uh, the, the thing is complicated by the fact that you've got uh, mercenary soldiers from uh, Turkey and Iran who are being shipped to Azerbaijan to fight for the Azeris against the Armenians. This is very disturbing news. So, yeah, disturbing news. I mean, we have thousands of people protesting here in the United States, particularly in Los Angeles in relationship to this. Um, It does seem as if, David, um, it's hard to get the world's attention right now. Everyone is so focused on what's going on at home, no matter where home is. But uh, it is imperative that we pay attention not only to what's going on um, in Azerbaijan, and its relationship not only with Armenia, um, those those national issues, but those issues within the country of Azerbaijan with the Armenian population that lives therein. Let's um let's pivot to China. We, you and I have a number of China headlines to look at today. Um, uh, there's a UN statement in relationship to the Uyghur population. The former Secretary of State uh, Henry Kissinger has weighed in on uh, the engagement of the U.S. with China. Um, What do you want to talk about in terms of China today? Well, China has been seriously aggressive in the South China Sea, as well as on its border with India uh, in, in the areas of northern India. And in addition, China seems to be suppressing any information about what is going on in the United States. There was a report that they censored the reporting of the Mike, Vice President Mike Pence debate with uh, Kamala Harris last week. So altogether, the Chinese are suppressing information especially news that puts them in a bad light. Quite distressing. So um, I'm reading headlines here that, I mean, I don't think they're particularly surprising um, about China cracking down. Um, we, we know that they've been cracking down on particular populations of people, but um, now they're cracking down on Beethoven. Like this seems, uh, this seems like a, a headline you and I should deal with. That's right. Well, this is quite extraordinary. I mean, um, as most people know, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony has the chorus written by uh, Goethe, Ode to Joy. Um, da, 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 da. You know the tune. Anyway, the Chinese Communist Party has decided that this particular set of lyrics is contradictory to their materialist view of the world. And so uh, they've banned it, they've censored that particular tune. It's quite amazing when you think about it. And then again in the South China Sea, in the Straits of Taiwan, 
the Chinese have said that it is their sacred duty to kill Americans who may be advancing the cause of Taiwan independent from China, from the nation of China. And they've had a statement that it's the sacred duty of Chinese to kill Americans if that's what's needed to stop this move towards independence going on. The first thing you have to say is the Chinese don't believe that anything is sacred. So how they use this religious terminology to define their national core issues, I can't imagine there's a huge contradiction. Yeah, huge contradictions. I just... Uh... Um, let's, uh, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, I'd love to talk with you about what's going on in France, the crackdown on Islamic separatism. Um, we recognize that, uh, that when any particular religious group is, uh, is sort of isolated out, the things that happen to them also redound to other identifiable religious groups. So de- definitely very interested in what's going on in France. And then I'd like to talk with you about developments in the Abraham Accords um, and the impacts potentially for these peace agreements between Israel and some of its some of its neighbors. So all of that up next with David Aikman. We'll be right back. <music> That is the Ode to Joy, now banned in China. Um, David Aikman and I are going to continue our conversation. Talk with us about what's going on in France in relationship to this crackdown on Islamic separatism. Well, the French have always had a very, uh, what's the word, a very harsh attitude towards Islamic behavior. For example, they banned headscarves in public places and schools and so on. And they appeared to be banning any emblem of Islamic identity that interfered with the law and orders, with the police force's ability to identify people. And so now in this later thing, they have banned any separatist movements within France that would encourage Islamic or Islamist citizens from dissociating from French person. So, I mean, a part of this conversation is, you know, I think, David, what happens when there is a religiously motivated group of people within a within a particular country that really wants to live as a countercultural or counter societal group. Now, when I frame right. it that way, you could you could potentially see evangelical Christians um, recognizing that uh, some of these laws um, might be used in days to come against them. Yes, that's true, and. Uh... In the United States, in several states, now you have um, clergy challenging state restrictions on worship in uh, churches and open spaces. And some of these lawsuits are actually being carried out by 
uh, mega churches that really feel that religious freedom, one of the planks of the Bill of Rights, of the, the First Amendment, the Constitution, that these planks, the constitutional guarantee of religious and freedom of expression, are being eroded by these new restrictions. So I think that a few things just to surface in terms of uh, of your conversations today when you're out there in the world, you know, the, uh, and things to think deeply about. There's a tension. Yes. Uh, there's definitely a tension um, in terms of the wanting to be genuinely pluralistic and allowing people the freedom of their uh, religious expression and their religious convictions. Um, but when we recognize that uh, that a religious expression is patently contrary to the foundations of a culture, um, then we have to start having a conversation about um, how far we allow uh, that religious group to grow. See, and as soon as I start down that path, like then I'm saying to myself, well, if I'm if I'm talking about a, a nation that is currently um, majority Muslim and I'm talking about the freedom of Christians to live in countercultural ways and educate their own children in ways that are different than the than the Islamic State would want children educated. Like when I start walking down that path, David, like I see I see the challenge um, for Christians who are concerned about religious liberty and yet also concerned about uh, the preservation of Western democracy. That's right. Well, I mean, we always have to. I think it's very important for evangelical Christians, in particular to protest when the rights of other religious believers, people of faith, of other faiths, are challenged in whatever countries they are in. And I think we have to be consistent if we are um, outraged by attacks on religious freedom in the United States. We have to be conscious of seeking up for the religious freedom of Muslims in China, for example, in Xinjiang, when, where apparently millions of them are interned in basically labor camps and forced to do things that they would not under normal times ever be able to do. So we have to be consistent in that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's turn to the Middle East. Um, we've been talking for several weeks now about the Abraham Accords. I understand that President Assad from Syria says he'd be happy to enter into peace talks with Israel, but a precondition would be the return of the Golan Heights. I think that's a good reminder that um, that Syria and Israel have technically been at war since the end of the uh, 1967 you know, war that really did change the scope of uh, of Israel's land. Um, but let's talk about Saudi Arabia in particular in terms of the development of the Abraham Accords. Well, Saudi Arabia was unspoken as the ultimate prize of this accord that brought Israel and the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain on a peaceful uh, trajectory because Saudi has been considered, you know, the linchpin of Islamic State's uh, rejection of Israel. 
But now the Saudis are finding that they are under attack from the Palestinians because although the Saudis have financed the Palestinian leadership uh, to a very large extent over the last two or three decades, the Palestinians are outraged that they would even be considering possible relations with Israel. And of course, the Palestinian leadership has furiously attacked Bahrain and uh, United Arab, Arab Emirates for doing just that. So they're facing, they, the Saudis are facing attacks from all sides in a very unexpected way. So we have, um, uh, I guess it's kind of breaking news, but it was on the docket. It was scheduled. The Israeli cabinet has today approved the UAE peace treaty and the Israeli parliament is expected to vote on ratifying the agreement later this week. Those are the uh, agreements that were signed here in the United States at a White House ceremony last month um, in this, you know, in this U.S. brokered uh, uh, what we're calling the Abraham Accords. Um, David, anything, uh, anything else you want to highlight here? I have uh, Israel and and Lebanon on my list as well. Um, I'm aware that there are some great fires raging in Lebanon and Syria. I want to make people aware of that. But this is a conversation um, about potential natural gas agreements between Israel and Lebanon. I mean, you know, sometimes commerce brings peace. Well, that's right. I mean, uh, the Israelis discovered a potential uh, huge uh, amount of natural gas in in the seabed offshore the coast of Israel, which is also offshore the coast of Lebanon. And it's in Lebanon's interest to cooperate with Israel, which has much more experience in uh, underwater drilling for natural resources than Lebanon has. And yet, Lebanon is unfortunately in the grip of the Hezbollah Islamist uh, political party that uh, has been supporting. Syria cracking down on their opponents within Syria. So the the Hezbollah people have been fomenting attacks across the Lebanese border with Israel. They've been digging tunnels and trying to infiltrate Israel from the north, which creates the potential of an Israeli Lebanese war, which wouldn't be a war between Lebanon and Israel, but a war between Israel and the Hezbollah Islamist forces, which has happened, of course, before in in 2006. So many things, David, for us to be uh, keeping our eyes on around the world. Thank you so much for the ways in which you help us do it week in and week out. We appreciate you being here today. That is David Aikman from Godspeed Magazine. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much, Carmen. Enjoy being here. Oh, as always. We'll be right back. All right. Wow. So much to cover today. Um, Thank you for joining me. Uh, If you've got any recommendations on how I might get the bird out of my 
little studio building. Sure would appreciate that. You can always email me, Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com. Thank you for all of those who texted during the show. Hey, you can follow me uh, on Twitter. I'm at Carmen LaBerge. That's probably my most frequent place to interact during the day. Uh, and a, a birthday shout out today to Paul Perot's dear wife, Jessica. Yes. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, right? You want to give her a happy birthday greeting? Go ahead. Yes, my dear wife, Jessica. Thank you for marrying me and just happy birthday. Happy, happy birthday. (laughs) You kind of caught me on the spot. I wasn't prepared. It's so fun. It's so fun. Okay. Um, This is your birthday song. It isn't very long. Hey. Hey. (laughs) That's right, right? That's the birthday song, by the way, that I like. I don't like the long extended one because people are so off key and, oh, yeah. Whew. So on my birthday, you could just do the short happy birthday song. All right. Let your heart song sing today. Get into the word of God. Get out there into the world that he so loves. Do so in ways that honor Jesus. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.